On this week's episode, we build, test, and deploy. That's right, we're talking DevOps. With each and every code commit, we automate all the junk that we never wanted to do manually. All that and more on this week's Merge Conflict. Frank, something awesome happened this week, and something awesome happens every week, it seems, when I start this podcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> you bought but, something uh, good, you? Uh, you know, well, you know, I've been back on my Kickstarter craze, uh, and I can't help myself. No, that's not the topic today. I <laughs> am really impressed with myself and us, because we're mm-hmm. awesome, and we are working on something together that we can't tell anybody yet. We oh, will. that sounds very mysterious. It is. Um, it's kind of mean. <laughs> it, it is really mean, but also, um, hint, never work with your friends. That's a terrible idea. Um, oh, are you about to say very bad things about me? Oh, no, you're a lovely. go really well. <laughs> you're a lovely person, Frank. I am just a terrible human being. But um, no, it's, it's something really cool happened because for the first time, I, I've, I've worked in trying to set up full production pipelines for my mobile applications for a long time. And something finally happened is that my boss, Joseph, he, he has some really strict requirements of of what we needed to do and, and what he wanted in the app stores and things like that. So I, I, for a long time, I've always been able to like build my stuff and kind of test some things and ship it off to people. But I, I never like made that final leap, which is like automatically sending stuff to the app store. So mm-hmm. I finally, for the first time from a code commit, I'm now able to automatically build my applications, test my applications ship a a special test uh, part of the application to beta testers and then automatically push the app to the app store like in one seamless flow and it like when it happened like which was very minimal like the tools are so good very minimal setup for it when it happened and like the apps just showed up inside of test flight inside of google play i was like oh my god like that's amazing the power <laughs> it's a little bit too much power uh i remember i did this the first time i set up uh automatically deploying to the web this is this is kind of mm-hmm. classic you know we all talk about continuous integration and i always just go back to editing websites websites live we're doing a better job of that but it reminds me of it of oh i just pushed to get and now i just changed a website on a web server i hope this power is used only for good but i will congratulate you because it is pretty awesome to have all that automation i think um i'm a big fan of joel spolsky and he's talked about it forever of like your builds have to be one step and they should be fast, but most importantly, it should be one step. If you give people a list of instructions, no one's ever going to follow them. Yeah. And, and now I really have it set up and because uh, I'm about to leave for Cuba, right? And literally, <laughs> uh, if I don't have everything set up by today when we're recording this, like no one will fig- be able to figure it out. So I'm like, all right, someone needs to be able to go into the app store and just toggle the switch to publish, you know, or submit, but it'll all be there. And that's the important part. Yeah. And you're correct. I mean, I think for me, it was a big step because I have done this in, I've used Visual Studio Team Services a lot for my my uh, web apps, web apps for, uh, to distribute immediately to like a Linux server or to, mm-hmm. uh, to a Windows machine. And that was easy, right? Because ASP.NET websites, there's literally a web deploy script and it's like, it's, it's so, it's, awesome. it's almost too automated. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, yeah. With- and and the problem of course is you make mistakes. That's why we don't do that anymore is because inevitably you'll reference a 
uh, column in a table that doesn't exist, or uh, you'll just flat out put a bug in. And so we don't do it anymore. So what you created was quite quite an artifice, um, quite a majestic artifice of DevOps. And yeah, it, <laughs> it is. It, it's pretty cool. Uh, so you have it. So uh, when we commit to master, it does all this magical stuff. It goes to the app store, it goes and gets tested, all that. But you also set up feature branches because you wanted us to work properly and be good devs. I found that interesting. <laughs> exactly. So I'm a big fan of branches. And when we were starting to work together, good old Frank just always pushing a master. And I go, that's fine, you know, because that's I what I do. To get done. You know, you're, you're writing features. You want to get the feature done. I don't want to go through all this bureaucracy of, you know, should I talk to a rubber ducky before committing this to master? I, I think I used that wrong, but <laughs> it just feels like a lot of witchcraft. <laughs> it's a lot of romancing, right? It's a lot of romancing right. to get this code into master and to do correct. And uh, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie that um, I, that as a solo developer, you, you know what I, how many branches I have? <laughs> Zero branch. I have one branch, master. And that's where what? I push to. No, no, I, I have two because I always try to make another branch. I'm like, I'm going to be a good dev. And it lasts for about a half a day and I go back to master. <laughs> exactly. And, and, and maybe I will, I will, I will maybe, maybe selectively branch like, oh, this is a, this version, like they're, they're past branches that you don't go to, like old releases. <laughs> So the snapshot that couldn't GitHub, you can actually just snap the current things. You don't even need to branch, right? You just literally create a GitHub release, which is magical. Right. Well, um, uh, it's a tag. Uh, Git has supported hmm. tags forever. So you can tag, I think, any commit with, or maybe you can have multiple tags on a commit. I don't know how Git works, but yeah. Something like that. Yeah. For that. Yeah. yeah. And then what's cool, well, what's cool about GitHub is you can actually create a GitHub release via a tag, and then it will, it'll, it'll actually zip like the current yeah. thing and makes it, you can always do that, but it makes it in the IDE or the website really easy. But I think what was unique is that we had multiple requirements because when you think about it, we had, it got a little bit complex when it's like, okay, well, what if our testers have the hockey app, like iOS and Android app installed, but then also they want to test the test flight app. Well, they can't really be the same app ID. They have to have different identifiers like in the user interface and um, at the same time, they may need to have certain feature flags for, like, should it have crash reporting currently? Should it be able to, like, the auto-updating? Like, Hockey App has this awesome feature of, of like, notifying for updates. So my idea was every time we push to master, like, our testers should have that right away because we have, we have first gone to a feature branch, and the feature branch builds everything and does a dev release. So, like, I could go into, we use BitRise for everything. Um, when I go into BitRise, um, and there's reasons I'm using BitRise too, because I've, you know, I could use VSTS, I could use Mobile Center, but we had like, a, we have like a thousand sub modules and all of this <laughs> complexity. It's very complex application. So, so BitRise like worked great for this iOS and Android application. I had no Windows requirements, which is, which is nice. So, you know, literally inside of this, the first thing I do is I go in, I'm looking at it right now and I, and I, I have a, I have a, you and I, when we install on our dev devices, like from the IDE, that has a certain package name and we have our own provisioning profiles, but for hockey app that should have a different package name. So there's no conflicts, right? So literally there's three package names, development, test, production, and they all have different names and they have different names in the IDEs. And then um, I update and I add or remove 
this was super cool, is is you can grep and you can essentially change the CS proj before you build the project, right? I love the ability to change code before building. So I remove and I update certain feature flags for debug versus release versus other things that are going on inside of it. And then we sign and then we package. And I do the same thing. Like I'm updating all the info P list. I'm bumping version numbers. And it just becomes, and we're sending Slack notifications. Like this was super cool, right? Like we get notified and we have different emojis that are going on. And and that kind of makes collaborating cool. So whenever there's a, there's a, we have a slow bro that comes up, which is a Pokemon that makes it like really sad whenever there's a build failure. But you know, it's, it's, um it's really kind of crazy to kind of put it all together and see it work, I guess. Um, I don't know. That's, that's kind of how I, 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 and so like, that's just on the master feature branch, like make sure that the feature branch works. And then in master, it ships the hockey app. And then I have a nightly build going to the app store. Like I could do a one-off build, but um, I can also just like do a nightly build for, for test flight and uh, Google play alpha testing. So like, wow. It's it's really crazy, right? And and then like you see what I meant, listeners, by very large artifice. Please continue. <laughs> and and that, those are just the different steps. Like BitRise has the concepts of running different flows. So those are all in different flows and they have different triggers. So like when master happens, then a certain flow kicks off. But each of our flows, our workflows have a a pre-build workflow, which is you know, clone the GitHub repo, send a Slack message, download all the provisioning. Okay, not to okay. mention, let me slow you down. Let me slow you down. Yeah. <laughs> so this is this is actually an awesome use. We're making use of workflow uh, workflows that are called in BitRise. But I was just having a discussion with a friend about CI in general, and I was trying to describe to him uh, how BitRise works. I don't mean to keep advertising for them, but I just think it's a nice abstraction on the build process. And you break it down into these little steps that are each little scripts or programs you can write your own you can import your own you can write a script whatever but you break down your build process into these multiple little things which include things like posting to slack and annoying frank in other <laughs> wonderful mm-hmm. ways I'm, su- I'm surprised you don't have it sending me text messages constantly or something like that good like, little twilio integration no, don't, don't do it don't do it please <laughs> Oh, but you also have it uh, sending uh, error reports into Trello and all these other things. So everything's possible. And so I, I just thought it was pretty cool, actually, because you're able to compose together these workflows from all these little steps. And I, I've been using BitRise forever on my apps, but the steps were always like, clone the code, build the code, run the tests, deploy it. You know, it was like four steps. Mm-hmm. And now with this... Uh, thing <laughs> that you've created monstrosity. it's like eight million st- it's not a monstrosity it works actually very well but it's like eight million steps and but it's pretty fun because we're just hanging out in the chat and the little build bot comes in and says haha you broke the build slow bro yeah and 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 it's cool because you can like i said flow these things together so eventually our i was at the point where the workflow is getting out of hand like mm-hmm. literally there is too many steps and i was scrolling too far down the page so you can chain workflows together. And the nice part there is that there's literally a thousand, like there's literally like five or six things that happen before every single build, such as restoring NuGet packages. So instead of duplicating that over and over, I put it in a in another workflow that gets triggered off ahead of time. So if Frank, for instance, adds a certain script, and I love the ability to just send and do scripts, he, he needs like, I need to insert this script. I'm like, put it in one place and all of the flows get it. But 
you know, BitRise, that building is just one part of it. It's really all of these services coming together that really tie this off. And I think like you mentioned, we use, you know, we're using Trello for some card management. I'm using Hockey App for distribution. And the complexity comes in that we're integrating with all of these. We're integrating with TestFlight. We're integrating with Google Play. We're integrating with Hockey App Deployment. We're integrating with all the Slack, right? All Like services from every other provider, you know, out there. Yeah. And they all, it all works. It's bananas. So. Yeah, it's really made me focus. Um, I, I love BitRise, but again, we're not advertising for like, but when I'm choosing a CI service provider, this is pretty much what I'm going to look at for now. And this almost seems to be like the trend of the future, all these large service providers. The question is, what integrations do you have? Like, how easily can I make it talk to other services? It just seems to be how the modern world works. And this is my first taste of actually kind of diving into it. I've resisted the chaos of using a million different services before i used to like to keep things nice and centralized and simple but this has worked out for the most part i'm i'm pretty impressed by it yeah and i, I think the reason i, I want to get to where it fails eventually yeah we'll i want to complimenting about, it for now yeah i want to talk about the why right is is i think that yeah. we can talk about the services we use a lot and i think you're going to figure out the best services you you want you know like right, right. now we're using I think we'll really deep dive into this once this stuff is out in a bit and we can actually talk about it publicly. But I want to talk about the why of why we actually did this and, and you know, and, and why it's important and, and, and why I actually give sessions in general about how to use BitRise or VSTS or Mobile Center and all these great services that are available to us. And from your point of view, you've been a, a solo developer for a long time. So I think I would like to hear like where where your transitions have gone in the past and why you yeah. even in your personal life have have needed some sort of solution, any solution. Well, it's quite simple actually. When you're maintaining a bunch of apps, I have well, I have over five active apps in the App Store, but basically three that I I <laughs> am actively maintaining, maintaining, and it becomes. Well, there's a lot of things. It just becomes a headache to have to remember if one app is building right now. Did it break when uh, I upgraded Xcode? Did this happen? Did that happen? Um, keeping your dev machine separate from old builds, like for iCircuit, I kept testing on older versions of Mac. We've discussed this before, and it required having old versions of Xcode in some cases. So it got to just be complex, like way too much to manage on my dev machine. And so I I took my first step of just running my own build servers to start with, because like I said, I like to keep things kind of in-house, you know, I, I don't like complexity. It's, it's so yeah. much to manage. I just wanted simplicity. So I just had a spare computer, put a build server on that, let it go. That worked out for a while. Um, what was I using? Uh, team i can't remember it anyway some nice software it it was excellent but the problem was i just stink at maintaining computers like so Mm. my dev machine i would keep up to date i'd keep getting the new x codes and the build server but oh yeah i gotta build the up the i gotta update the build server and it would take time and time and so eventually i stopped even just using it went back to my old terrible ways of never knowing how things were building or not and then finally i just said this is this is this cannot stand this is a terrible state of things and i finally started using a cloud build provider um yeah gone through a bunch of them but like you just have to like you can't keep it all in your head it's too much 
Yeah, I think I was I was always scared for a long time because when I worked at Canon, like we we had entire teams, and even I mean Microsoft and, and other companies I've worked at, we have entire teams of release management. Like there is a release management Slack channel that like that's all they do all day for. Yeah. for huge things and like when i look at systems like we use some old old build systems at xamarin that are like built in-house right people are building their own and yep. we have some newer ones and that stuff scares me like i don't even want to oh, get into yeah. it and i'm just like oh like i don't like i push code and stuff happens but i i'm like i'm scared to look at it and that's why i never in my personal life would set it up so i used there's built-in tools to visual studio and xamarin studio the archive manager is actually really fantastic mm. So yeah. this is like my own mini DevOps, which is that, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm doing the solo developer. I have this one machine. Stuff's always going to be built on this machine, which, by the way, make sure you do snapshots because I literally turned on my Windows 10 machine yesterday, my, my supercomputer, oh. and Windows was like, eh, I give up. Um, just Not go today. ahead and reformat, please. Not today. No, Not today, no good sir. For you you want to add yep, numbers? No. Get out the slide rule. <laughs> exactly. In fact, time to reformat, and it just reformatted back to zero, uninstalled oh everything. Oh, my God. Oh I think God. what I think what happened is it was in the middle of updating to the creator's update. And I think I had turned it like I had turned on my computer sidetracking. I turned on my computer. I was going to do something, but I didn't have my monitors on. I was like, eh, I'm not going to do anything. So, you know, what I did is I held down the power button. I was like, turn off because uh-huh. uh-huh. I was I was too old lazy. School. Old school. I was too lazy to turn on the monitors. I think it was probably in the process of updating to something. And I turned it off. So the next time I turned it on, I was like, no, have a good day, sir. See you later. Yep. And then, and then that was it. And then I was like, restore points? We don't know about those. See you later. Anyway, so you the know, problem is like, yeah, go ahead. I, I was just going to say, thank God we live in the modern world where we finally convinced ourselves to put most of our data in the cloud. Like at this point, I can lose a computer and basically I'm just losing time at that point. I, I rarely lose data anymore. Just wanted yeah. to put that out there. Thank God the future has finally come. <laughs> yeah. And almost all of my data is on separate drives too, like because it's a supercomputer. Yeah. So I, I have like only my OS and in in my um, applications on that main machine, on the main drive and everything else on the other drive. So if I looked at like why I actually was scared for a long time is when I worked at Canon, we had release management, we had all this stuff. And actually what I used to use was Xamarin Studio all the time for the archive manager. If you don't know this, we have one for iOS and Android and Mac and you can right click on a project and just say archive. And what this does is it takes a current snapshot of whatever your code is uh, and, and bundles up a release not actually your code, but it bundles up a release. The binary. The binary. With a bunch of metadata, too. So it gives a bunch of other stuff. Essentially, whatever is in your bin and obj folder, it kind of like shoves into a special directory. And then you could put that into some sort of, you know, your your Dropbox or whatever. And you could, you could your OneDrive, and you can back that folder up, which would be important. But it actually has, a, you can snapshot all of your releases. So what's nice here is that you could go back and say like, all right, every every day I'm going to, before I leave work, I'm going to archive this and I have an archive every day of all my app releases. And then you can publish it directly from Visual Studio or Xamarin Studio. And I used to publish that to TestFlight all the time directly before they killed the API to do it from yeah, the that's ID. Still, it's still generally my workflow. If I'm starting mm-hmm. a new iOS app, I basically do exactly what you just described. The other nice feature about the archive, which uh, sometimes you miss, is if you get a crash report from the user, it keeps all the symbol, the debug information for you. And yeah. so someone may give you a crash from a version that you, like an older version, but as long as you have an archive of that, it'll be able to find the symbols and you'll be able to understand the crash. So there's actually very good reasons to keeping lots of archives 
lives. But I think that's a I think that's the kind of the Apple recommended flow before you get into the full DevOps CI world. I think so. I mean, and and if that's your that is a lot better than just saying like how I used to used to used to do it before I learned even about the archive stuff is I would and for Android, you used to go in Visual Studio and say just like publish APK. And like mm-hmm. this magical APK would drop onto my desktop and I'm like, all right, upload. And then I would like, I would then go into my one, or into my one drive and I would create a folder and I would be like one dot one and yep. I would copy the APK into it. I and do it to I, this day. It's fine. It's fine. Why are you making fun of me? <laughs> nothing wrong with it. Nothing. I have plenty of those folders and you know what, when you go back five years later and you're like, oh, you know, that, that APK is still there and like, I still have it, you know? I, if you're, if that's, if that's the, that is better than nothing. That is better than deleting that APK at the end of the day, <laughs> you know? Yeah, you you definitely don't want to do that. And I learned my lesson the hard way because I used to do that. I used to just create a build and upload it to Apple. And then once they accepted it, I deleted it because, you know, space, it's expensive, I guess. <laughs> but, um, and then I got my first crash report and I realized, oh, you're an idiot. <laughs> I haven't. I can't do anything with the scratch report. It's all just gibberish because I don't have any information. Yeah. So, learn that lesson quickly. But I, I hope we've all learned that. And I think, even now, I think with Apple's crash reporting, I think they make you upload the debug information. So maybe you don't even have to keep them anymore. But yeah. it's still good practice. <laughs> it's still good practice. Exactly. You know what else is good practice, Frank? Is using amazing world-class tools. That's right. I'm talking about our sponsor this week, our friends of the podcast, amazing sponsor, Syncfusion. They continue to offer the largest set of tools for Xamarin and .NET on the market. They offer everything, whether you're building iOS, Android, Xamarin, web, JavaScript, they offer everything. These are world-class tools. I'm talking about graphs, charts, list views, pickers, calendar controls, anything that you could possibly need. They have over 850 plus components for any of these amazing platforms. Um, And actually, they have an amazing community license. You get all this stuff for free for individual developers uh, or companies up to five users um, with less than an annual gross of a million dollars. That's me. That's you, Frank. We can get all this stuff for free. So if you're a Xamarin developer, if you're an iOS developer, if you're a web developer, if you're a developer, you need this stuff. Essentially, what they do is they bundle all these controls into things called Essential Studio. So you'll have Essential Studio for UWP, Essential Studio for Xamarin. They're amazing. I use them personally for all of my charts and graphs. Why go and create all this stuff when Syncfusion has done it for you automatically? Check out Syncfusion and all of their amazing controls by going to syncfusion.com slash mergeconflict. Thank them uh, for uh, for sponsoring Merge Conflict, and we cannot thank Syncfusion enough for sponsoring the show. Thanks, Syncfusion. Yeah, talk about time saver. <laughs> I do not need to write a calendar control. <laughs> Life's too well, short. That's true. And actually, you know, that's a good point is, is, is when I started doing even just just a build like uh, like I'm going to set up VSTS to just do a build. I'm going to set up I'm going to set some some provider to do a build whenever I push code. To me that just validated that hey, it doesn't just work on my machine. And then when I said, "Okay, now package now bump versions and modify my code, the source code before you build it and then give me something at the end of the day." Um, that I can just install. Like that was a huge time saver because we have other people in the Slack channel. Like I don't want to drag and drop APKs to them, right? I want to be like, here's a link, you download it, you install it. Better yet, subscribe to this hockey app portal and you'll yeah. just automatically get updates, you know, like 
what talk about a time saver like when you start distributing outside of being a solo developer and you need to interact with people like i you know when you need to interact with people one it's scary and then when you have to give them a product that becomes really <laughs> scary and getting feedback from them yeah it's crazy well, actually, I want to go back to what you originally started with of just getting the stupid thing to build off of your own machine. It's quite a humbling experience or even getting it to run. And then you might even run into differences like the version that the continuous integration built runs differently than your dev version. Then you got to track down those bugs and it can feel kind of terrible and tedious at the time. But what you're really doing is enabling other people <laughs> to work on your project, you know? It, it's no good if it only works for you. And so there is some pain and suffering to getting all this automation working. But it's, well, you know, having people contribute to the project is well worth it because then you don't have to write that code. So it's worth yeah. getting it to build for them. Well, and the nice thing is, yeah, if and once you have this set up, like you may have other developers that come on. It, it may not just me, me, me and you, right? So there's other right. now developers contributing to the code base, which means that if they come in and they go into a feature branch and they start modifying code and they break the build, well, guess what? That entire production pipeline is set up and in the Slack channel, it says, hey, XYZ <laughs> broke the build. And uh, and that's that's a good feeling to say for them, right? They can just write code, they can build on their machine, and and now they can really kind of push to push start pushing to feature branches with confidence before even going into master. And I think that's a huge benefit is that, you know, while today I may be the only one writing this application, but what happens in the next step? In the next step. Yeah. And this was a really good feeling for this application that we're building, but it's been a great feeling um, for all of my libraries. And and this could be a whole episode in itself because we're talking about app creation. Library creation is different. I use AppVayer, which is a fantastic service, um, a free service for open source projects to do um, .NET library builds. It's just Windows VMs. Um, and that's really great because I can build my plugins for Xamarin, which cover iOS, Android, Mac, you know, windows, like dot, just a, you know, dot <laughs> standard libraries. And those have lead yeah. like full visual studio installs and all this stuff. Well, that's a great cloud provider for those builds. And I can run cake script and I can do all this stuff. And it feels so great when I have this project on GitHub and I'm contributing today, but someone does a pull request. Well, guess what? They, they just slapped in code. They didn't even, they didn't even build it. I've had this happen where people just like insert code randomly or like they, they do a bad um, <laughs> merge conflict resolution oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and merging of code. And they're just like, all right, it, it like this, like inside of the GitHub desktop app, like this season seems to like the like checkbox good <laughs> push. Well, guess what? It didn't build an at Vayer. So sorry, you know. <laughs> Yeah, like and actually, as a maintainer, I'm I'm actually a bit of a voyeur. I sometimes actually don't get to um, commenting on pull requests as quickly as I want to because I get busy during the day and all that. Mm -hmm. But I do get notifications on builds, so it's a little bit of fun watching uh, people's pull requests build. I actually enjoy that. If I'm bored, I just go see like whose pull requests are building and not. And if someone has a small one and it's building, I'll actually you know log in there and commit it if it looks good and all that. So it's just, I, I love that simplicity of it. Like, I, I know that the tests are passing. I know they didn't break anything. Bing, click the button, merge. Yeah, I think, yeah, that, that one makes me feel good. And then, like, when I can automatically publish to NuGet, like, through it, like, and selectively do it. Um, I think I like this idea of, 
I've been really into this idea of my own internal feeds, like like private feeds, because like I don't want to publish everything to the public app store, and I don't want like during development or if someone does a pull request, well, it's good that it builds, but also did it package correctly? Like, does it actually mm-hmm. install? So at Vayer and you know you know Bitrise VSTS, like all these services offer this, but at Vayer, each of your libraries can have its own private NuGet feed. So before I actually so if someone does a pull request and it's successful, it, it'll create the NuGet package and it'll actually put it into, it, it's a specific version. It'll put it into the private feed. So that means they could actually go test it inside of Visual Studio or Xamarin Studio to make sure it actually works. So like everyone, if I have a bug fix, I don't have to publish it to NuGet. I can say, hey, look at this NuGet feed and just use the specific version. And like, that's a cool, like that's a cool way of doing one-off hot fixes for somebody without having having to actually publish things to the public app store mm-hmm. until you're ready or to NuGet feed. Like, it just feels good for some reason. I don't know. I, it's a hard feeling to describe, yeah. but like, it makes me feel good. I haven't bought into that one completely. Um, so NuGet is our package manager, and it already has a flag to say pre-release. And the thought here is that most people won't be looking at pre-release stuff, so you can release your one-offs, your betas, your try-this-out kind of stuff uh, tagged with beta or whatever. And I think that system works pretty well. The complexity of the extra NuGet feeds scares me, especially when coming from CI and everything. But I think it's kind of a, a fear of the unknown. You know, I just haven't tried it yet, and I haven't gotten into it. So I'll take your word for it. It sounds like good advice. Try out these private feeds, but I'm still not there. I still don't see exactly what problem they're solving. So this is when it helped me. Um, so so I could I could just be like, hey, listen, it packages up the NuGet, and you can download the NuGet. But sometimes things, that's just like a tedious process. I never want it to be tedious. So like I have my own my own private feeds of each of my libraries that I can toggle on and off. The reason I like this is because once I put it on NuGet, even as a pre-release, I'm kind of vouching for it that this is a good pre-release. Like if you look at like JSON.net, it only has like two pre-releases and then he deletes all the pre-releases as soon as they're the official versions out. Very smart. And um, what you can do now is I was modifying my new spec, right? Because I found out, I'm just I'm just not smart is like I I am very apt to doing like I'm going to insert the like full length of everything. So my new spec is I'm going to point specifically at this DLL and this XML file. But what I found out is that you can do like star like wildcards. So I can do like plugin dot in at billing dot star and then anything in there will just automatically go into this lib folder. Anyways, so mm-hmm. I was redoing all of my my new specs. Yeah. And this is literally for the packaging part of it. So instead of publishing a pre-release or downloading the file and importing the file and doing this stuff, I just let it publish to my private feed, yeah. right? It's like a dev release almost, kind of like we have our own dev release yeah. of of I can go into my artifacts and download it and test it myself before publishing it to the greater good. That was my thought. So, so the one place where I see me wanting to use this is where I'm getting really tired of Git submodules. <laughs> just <laughs> such a pain to maintain. It really slows down builds because you're compiling everything from source all the time. You can't take advantage of pre-compiled libraries and all that. Uh, did I mention they're a pain to maintain? <laughs> I'll just repeat that 10 times. 
<laughs> and they're just endless confusion, especially when you start branching things. Remember when uh, we said so, on an earlier podcast to use submodules everywhere? Look, they work. They work. It's just, oh, when they get deep and when you start branching, it gets rough. And so the world I think I would prefer to live in is a private NuGet feed that's like actually secure and private. No one else can get to. Mm. And where you actually just start putting your proprietary, the even not open source stuff, publishing it up to there just so that the people on your team and whatnot can use the libraries without having to build them from source all the time. Ah, uh, that makes sense. This makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. Yes, it's things to think about, right? Because I think also as we start to build all this DevOps, everyone is a little bit different. Um, and it's kind of like, you know, see what works for you. I think that um, different tools all work a little bit differently. And I think mostly what you have to do is you just got to kind of jump into it because if I just never, I was, I was happy in the world of, I'm gonna put it in this archive manager. I'm gonna do this yeah. thing, right? I'm a, I'm a, I'm a just do this. And, and that's a, that, that worked for me. I was happy with it. And, but then once I found out, like if I implement any of these things, whether it's at Vay or Bitrise or VSTS or, or mobile center, like even if you just use like like you're just like all right well I'm not going to worry about any of these custom integrations right I want something drop dead simple like does it just build like yeah. and that's it and and mobile center is great for that because you can just point it at a GitHub repo or a VSTS repo and just say like you know what just build this thing right like just just build it and like I don't want to worry about like like James and Frank these workflows like 100 steps seem they're not 100 like 20 steps like seems complicated well because it's a complicated production app if i had just started and said like i just wanted to build i would point it at mobile center visual studio mobile center and say hey you know what build this solution done and like that helps a lot if that's the first step so yeah but i'll add to it part of part of what's made me accept your beautiful artifice is that it's a little bit joyful actually the um the messages it sends to the slack while they're all very um body you know they're like build started build completed build failed you stink um they have cute little emojis on them (laughs) and it becomes a little bit of a game and i i I hate receiving email i'm not an email person but an instant messaging service i can tolerate them quite a bit better than email and so i enjoy getting these little notifications so far that like i have my own little slack channel and so i've started with my own little build bots posting little cute messages there even yeah. just, you know, random ones at random times. Just, hi, remember me. Remember to compile iCircuit today. <laughs> yeah, my- <laughs> and, you know, it's fun. There's just a little bit of joy. So you can entertain yourself. You can make it not so dr- dr- bad. <laughs> yeah, my favorite is whenever we deployed a hockey app, I put a hockey stick, hockey stick as the emoji. <laughs> <laughs> and every time I have to stare at it, I'm like, what is, is that a pencil with like broken on? No, okay, it's a hockey stick. It, it, it barely <laughs> looks like a hockey stick, but it is, I swear. Yeah, I swear it is. It's pretty. It should cute. be like a goalie or something. I don't yeah. know. A big face. But yeah. it got to the point where I was critiquing all of the emojis that he was posting. I'm like, no, no, I don't like that one for failures. You know, got to make this pretty. <laughs> yeah, got to make it pretty. And you learn so much interesting things too. And this is where things uh, not necessarily break down, but like there's an advantage to doing this. Because if I wait until the last minute to package up my application, and then submit it to the app store, I don't learn interesting things. Like I don't learn interesting things that there's specific versions of iOS that re- restrict <laughs> app size. 
Like, did you know that if you target iOS 7 or iOS 8, that you can only upload an app that, not the app size is 60 megs, but the executable size? Because your app size could be 30 megs, but your executable size inside could be 100 megs. That if you target iOS 7 or 8, that it's 60 megs. If you target iOS 6, well, it's 80 megs. But if you target iOS 9 and above, 500 megs. Did you know 500. that? 500. 500. No, I, I did not know this. <laughs> I think we both learn learned this. it this morning. It's hilarious, huh? So what happened? So in the early days, we were allowed 80 meg. And then uh, iOS 8 came out. They wanted us to split all our apps into like, you're supposed to download parts of it dynamically from Apple server- servers or something. It was very complicated. And you saw them reduce the allowed maximum size of the app, 60 meg. And then hilariously in the next version you can tell uh the developers must have revolted or something because they bumped it up to 500 megabytes <laughs> exactly i'll put that in this the, like link in the show notes i definitely i tweeted it out it's pretty hilarious but you learn this stuff i think that that's when yeah. it, it just becomes um really intriguing uh overall um of using some of these services of oh i didn't know that i couldn't do that thing you know what i mean um, it, it's really interesting, but I don't know, you, 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 you think, you think these things fall down in some instance, like you, uh, you were, any, you were, you any, were going to complain earlier. Look, anytime you build something big and complex, you mm-hmm. by definition are increasing the number of failure points. It's just mm-hmm. how it is. And the bigger and bigger it gets, the more interesting ways it can fail. That is a rule that's been ingrained in me as an engineer forever, simplicity is the key to quality simplicity you know um what's the old statement as uh simple as possible but no simpler like there is a level of complexity that you do need to solve the problem Mm -hmm. but any complexity on top of that you are just creating more problems for yourself and so just from an engineer i am constantly on guard of that i think we all have to do it we all like to over engineer our software we like to create these large complicated scripts uh we're in the dotnet ide world but in the unix world you should see the bash scripts people come up with their their <laughs> i'll call those monstrosities i won't call your thing a monstrosity <laughs> but those they they can get really ugly um and so i'm just always on guard against complexity it's yeah. it's my enemy and my sworn enemy. And so that's it. Just a yeah, there's definitely reaction. There's definitely some things like, oh, I need to change this file, but oh that you know, that file is being used in a workflow, so that that part will fail. So like how do I modify the workflow first and then modify the file? Or we ran into this right. instance where a lot of people are pushing code, so we're queuing up builds, all right? Mm-hmm. But now I got to wait an hour because James has done pull requests into master and then kicked off this other flow. So he's, you know, queuing. So I, should we just pay more money and get more instances? <laughs> like, all right, I guess we'll just do that, you know? Um, and so there's there's some benefits to like not using cloud-hosted machines, right? Because cloud-hosted machines have to download all of your source code. They have to do all mm-hmm. this stuff. And one of my favorite parts of VSTS is being able to use my own machine as my build host or this machine sitting in the corner because literally now all the source code can just sit there and, you know, it just has to do a git pull, not necessarily a full git clone every time and a full, it already has all the NuGet packages. So it's kind of this nice nicety there of removing one of those failure points. Um, But then also the fail point is that you have that machine. (laughs) So you have to maintain that machine, like you said earlier. And the more steps you add to your 
build system, the more it's diverging from your development system. So they're becoming disconnected. And so when you, you run, you can run into the situation where a bug will manifest in one environment, but not in the other. And that's when your life becomes annoying (laughs) and you have to just deal with it and you just track it down. It's painful. But I think the benefits of uh, everything that we've discussed of having uh, automation do it for you, of having it off your own machine to prove that other people can build it also, those outweigh those cons. But man, those cons can bite you in the butt. Yeah, it's very true. It's very true. Oh, my goodness. This has been fun. I'm so glad. We've been wanting to talk about this for so long. It's been a blasty. Um, DevOps. And, yeah, DevOps, baby. And it's not even, like, I, I hate the word DevOps. Oh, in a come way. on. It, it's developer it's operations. It is just a word. Can we come up with something new? Like, uh, well, I always said, like, Donovan has, like, a good, like, description of what DevOps mean to his is. And it's, it's like, great. It's, like, the three Ps of DevOps. And what I say is, it, it could be the, the people process and the, the something else that it is. But to me, it's like all the stuff that I don't want to do manually, just like automate it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's just kind of like my mobile app automation, you know, DevOps. Well, it's DevOps for the solo developer, whatever. It's a silly, <laughs> silly marketing word that has taken off um, in a way. But uh, it's been That's fun. I love, love it. Yeah. And it, it's something I'm continuously trying to get better at. I think the more you can automate, the better, especially as a single dev. There's only so many hours in the day and you have only so many brain cycles. You, I mean, we're programmers. Like, We should be writing bots, honestly. <laughs> if it wasn't for that complexity argument in the back of my head I'd, and how much time it takes, I really would love to try to automate everything. But you know, some things are easy to automate. Some things are hard. Definitely, definitely automate the easy things. Yeah. All right, cool. Anything else you want to hint at here, the Frank attack? Nah, enough hints. (laughs) Awesome. Well, you can find us anywhere on the internet. Um, We are at Merge Conflict FM. You can leave us a super fancy review over on the iTunes app store. If you use that, even if you don't use iTunes, it it really helps the show. It helps us uh, bump up in the um, show uh, ratings there. But if you're also using Overcast, which I know many of you are on iOS, be sure to hit that little star button and that recommends it to all your friends to kind of help the discovery of Merge Conflict. I'd like to thank SyncFusion yet again for sponsoring this week's episode. Uh, Check out all of their amazing controls at syncfusion.com slash mergeconflict. Uh, We want to hear from you. Go over to mergeconflict.fm, leave us an email, find out how to contact us. And until next time, this is Merge Conflict. I'm James Montemagno. And I'm Frank Krueger. Thanks for listening. Peace.